Welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast, where we talk to C-level leaders from across the payments landscape. We'll be discussing the products and services that impact the payment space today, as well as trends and predictions for the future of payments. We will also hear stories from our guests about their journeys to the top. I think the opportunity as we look forward is also around, you've got this next generation of business leaders who have grown up as digital natives and what they experience, feel, can get access to in their ways of the world being a consumer, they're expecting on the business side as well. And I think that's one of the major trends that we're really going to see is the customization of user experiences you know, in B2B finance. That was Carrie O'Connor Colajay, CEO of VersaPay, and she is my special guest on this episode, episode 300 of the Leaders and Payments podcast, and I'm your host, Greg Myers. Yes, I said episode 300, a milestone I'm super proud of. VersaPay helps thousands of businesses transform their AR automation, cash application, and payments in a more human way. Carrie and I talked about B2B payments and accounts receivable and what makes VersaPay unique and different in the space. We also talked about business transformation and when and if the timing is right to introduce more AI and ML into back-office solutions. We've got a great episode ahead, so let's get started. Hi, Carrie. Thank you for being here, and welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast. Wonderful to be here. Thanks, Greg. Absolutely. So let's dive right in. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, where you currently live, a few things like that. And then we'll we'll jump over to your career journey in a few minutes. All right. Well, I'll try to keep it short because there's definitely a long history. But my name is Carrie O'Connor Colajay. I'm the CEO of VersaPay. I've been in the payment space and the identity slash risk management space for almost three decades now. Um, I live in Montclair, New Jersey, just about 12 miles outside of Manhattan, and it's a lovely community. Um, but prior to this, I was actually living in, in Silicon Valley. You know, a bit about my personal story, and, and it is really tailored to our company as well, is you know, I've always believed that you know, the known truth of our society our, and economy is that cash flow is a lifeline of all economic pursuits. And I have a relentless passion for using technology to build a more inclusive and secure world and making finance accessible to those who need it. And my journey from the past to the present has really led me to the point where I could solve that problem over time. Okay, great. Well, we will discuss that a little bit more detail in a few minutes, but let's talk about VersaPay first. So tell our audience what VersaPay does. Yeah, so VersaPay provides account receivable efficiency products. We like to call it our accounts receivable efficiency suite. So for a lot of growing businesses that need to accomplish more with less, VersaPay's products simplify the invoice to cash process. And we do that by automating invoicing, facilitating B2B payments, and streamlining cash reconciliation using artificial intelligence. We really are very focused on empowering our customers to succeed by creating cash flow situations that deliver confidence and save time and ultimately allow their businesses to thrive and and not just survive. And so, as you know, companies are the, I'll say the lifeblood of all communities. And if they're not successful, then they can't service their customers or enable their employees to have jobs. And so our goal is to create situations that enable them to have the cash flow in order to be successful and to realize their aspirations. Okay. Are there certain verticals or types of businesses that you target? 
There are actually. So we focus on the mid market, which we describe between 50 million and 1 billion in annual revenues. Some of the verticals that we have seen great success in is manufacturing, distribution, construction, real estate, and professional services. Although within professional services, there are some sub segments that are great fits for our solution. And one of the things that's really been unique for us is that we integrate natively into the top ERPs. So effectively, it allows our customers to self-service themselves with payment portals to resolve what you know they, they need to do that in some cases, they've got 30 people to 60 people who are doing accounts receivables and they can move all the way down to one or two. So our goal is to automate the manual process. And in a lot of these verticals, they're a little bit behind in becoming digital forward and in their transformation journey. And we have found that when you look at their growth size, the mid-market, the types of invoices that they send, and the pain that they feel when trying to actually capture a payment and also reconcile it within their ERP, that's where we shine. Do you go to market through those ERP partners or do you have your own sales team or is it a combination? Yeah, it's a combination. So we have had great success with our ERP partners and the VAR communities that are specific to those ERP players. And we also go to market with our direct staff, our sales staff and our marketing efforts. Because we have a suite and effectively we offer four different products, our goal is to meet the customer where they are. So we've got a, a number of distributors that are really keen on our cash app solution, which effectively allows them to take any form of payment to capture it and then to reconcile it back into their books. And we may start there. And then over time, as that company will grow, we'll integrate more deeply within maybe a more sophisticated ERP. So, you know, our belief is, you know, at the end of the day, these The world is becoming more and more automated, particularly the office of the CFO, where efficiency gains are absolutely paramount. And if we can help ease the process in which they collect cash for the goods and services that they provide, it'll make things better for them and us. And how big is the company? Yeah, the company is around 400 people. The company has a really unique history. Back in 2020, in the midst of covid Our founders, um, I'll say our owners, Great Hill Partners, private equity firm, really believed in this thesis of the transformation that was on the horizon with B2B payments and the accounts receivable issue that was becoming more and more problematic. As you know, accounts payable, a lot of companies out there that have been driving transformation locally and globally. It's a bit of a one size fits all, but in the receivable process, when you're looking at efficacy of a customer's customer, the terms, the type of payments, loans, etc., it becomes much more complex. And so in 2020, they said, look, how do we bring together a set of assets that have been very, very successful in their respective area and create a bigger opportunity in order for us to service this market? And so we are five assets that came together, anything from payments to software to integration plays. And over the last course of you know, the last three to four years, we've not only been growing tremendously, but in driving tremendous amount of transactions. So we've got about 10,000 clients about 5 million plus companies that have transacted in our network and do about 110 million transactions annually. We've also been looking at amazing opportunities where we can continue to build product and service our customers. And what would you say differentiates you from your competitors out there? 
couple things. One, Greg, as you probably know, there aren't a lot of companies with our profile servicing the mid-market. And we service the middle mid and then the upper mid. We've got a number of competitors that are serving the enterprise market, wanting to come down into mid-market, and a number servicing the SMBs, the small businesses wanting to come upscale. And so this is where we've started and it's where we have continued to be successful because of the characteristics of the segments, verticals, and customers we serve. But if I was to say the things that make us different um, we offer a complete invoice-to-cash solution that provides payment choice. So some of our competitors in the space will offer an AR system. Some will offer B2B payments. We've got a lot of disruptors that are coming up in the space, but they don't have the complete end-to-end solution and one that will scale. The second differentiator for me is, you know, within our technology stack, we have our cash application which effectively does a lot of the automated reconciliation of the payments to the invoice. And we've been doing that for 10 years. So the company we bought has been on quite a journey and they've been doing artificial intelligence for a decade. And as you know, the more information or data flow that you have, the smarter and faster you can get. So our accuracy rates are quite high. And then I'll say the, the third one is, you know, our ability to embed within our partner ERPs. So history of deep, deep relationships being able to pull in right into the ERPs have really been demonstrative of what an embedded finance solution can be and should be for companies around the world. I'll say the last thing, and it's only because I've heard it in our NPS and from customers, it's really our workforce. We have people who've been with this company for 19 years. So was one of the original founders of one of the assets that got combined in 2020. And we have new people who really believe in the value proposition and the problem we're solving. And their commitment to our customers is, you know, hands down, second to none. And I know a lot of companies say that, but in our MPS surveys, you know, I've, I find that our customers give us a little bit more grace because they like the people they work with, even though sometimes we have to do a better job of servicing them. Yeah, and not to bring up something that happened years ago, but you tell me if I'm wrong, but did COVID really, did that, like really spur your business or did it really kind of jump started in a lot of ways? I mean, obviously you've been in business prior to that, but given kind of what a lot of people had to go through from a, you know, on the finance side of businesses and not being able to get out and to write checks and to do all those things. I mean, did you guys see a big bump then? Absolutely. We did. And and I, and I believe that was one of the premise for what was forcing our growth, maybe even more quickly, then we could keep up. So no one's going into the office, checks are being written, and they're landing on desks where people are no longer sitting. So you talk about the abandonment rate of a payment. It's a different type of abandonment than when you're trying to pay for something online. And then the the length of time in order to reconcile that payment and the days of payment outstanding were off the roof. And as you know, with COVID, you know, every dollar counted in kind of the war on survival for not just individuals, but for businesses. And so that was definitely the catalyst. And I think the opportunity as we look forward is also around, you've got this next generation of business leaders who have grown up as digital natives and what they experience, feel, can get access to in their their ways of the world being a consumer, they're expecting on the business side as well. And I think that's one of the major trends that we're really going to see is the customization of user experiences 
you know, in B2B finance that were similar to consumer experiences and changes 10, 15 years ago when you and I first started. Right, right. So that's a good segue into the next question. Let's talk about trends. Let's talk about what you think the the future of the industry looks like maybe in the next couple of years. Obviously, you just mentioned that one. Are there other things that you guys are kind of looking at and keeping an eye on? We are. We definitely are. I, I do think, as I mentioned, the kind of consumerization, I'll call it, of B2B finance is going to be key. And there's a lot of times throughout the day where I'm drawing parallels between the consumer finance trends and what it means to aggregate financial transactions or institutions offer choice in versatility and payments, um, what incentives need to look like. As we know, there's incentives in order to close a transaction at checkout. Well, it's also the same in the B2B space. You know, we find our customers are willing to give a little latitude on terms for good customers if they have a bad month and to ask for upfront payments on customers that they don't know. And so I think this shift towards optimizing capital will create a lot of leverage in B2B finance. The other two that I'll touch on that in the near term, that we're already starting to see, I'm sure you've done a number of podcasts on this, is you know the payments and digitization. And I think the, there's been a significant shift, as we know, to real-time payments. And, and now in the U.S. with FedNow, real-time payment systems, and it happening around the world, I think that this trend is being marked by a faster payment process and will only revolutionize cash flow management and operational efficiency and starting to see even some emergence of what is the future of ACH look like. And as checks become diminishing in importance, you know, how does ACH transact with the right data elements and data signals around it to ensure that that transaction is is trusted and coming from the right party? I think the other one is embedded finance and APIs. I mean, we saw, we hear a lot about embedded finance. I think people do define it differently. I tend to define it as a financial transaction that happens in a non-financial experience. But what we're seeing with embedded finance is this focus on user-centric solutions and ensuring strong data protection and access to the ability to grow at the rate that the businesses need you to and meeting customers where they are effectively. And, and doing that, I mean, we see that with our customers, particularly those that are working with, whether it's NetSuite or Microsoft Business Central or Sage Intac or any of the other ERPs that we work with is their employees do not want to move from portal to portal. They don't want to move outside of the system where they spend 80% of their time. And so we all need to think about how do we build services and solution that can be embedded in their existing workspace, but also live separately for those who may not have it. I will say that over the next five to 10 years, as we look forward, I believe that we'll be able to realize the promise of the financial networks um, where instant payments for suppliers and delayed payments for buyers can coexist harmoniously. And there's been a lot of talk about the power of the networks. And I say financial networks or payment networks in marketplaces. And there's something to be said about if you are pretty prevalent in an industry, let's take commercial real estate, And you know that for every supplier on your network, there's 21, 30 different buyers. And you know that those buyers may do business with five or six other suppliers on the network. 
you can start to really see how data becomes a key component of enabling all nodes or parties on the network to create the right set of circumstances that allow them to be successful because suppliers want to get paid immediately. And as we know, buyers want to delay those payments in order they can benefit from the free cash flow. Yeah, you mentioned a, a couple of things there that I, I wanted to double click on. And one is, you know, I've heard and read and, and talked to people about sort of this expectation of the the younger workforce, even, you know, the Gen Zs. And I always kind of, I always think it is like, they're not going to stand for the friction that's in a lot of processes mm-hmm. today. I mean, is that mm-hmm. is that part of, of the value that you bring is just trying to remove the friction that's in sort of the B2B payment space? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and and when you look from invoice to cash, that friction exists in multiple spaces on that, what I'll I'll say that journey, that experience. And it's not just the actual movement of money, it's how the invoice gets tied to the payment, which gets tied to the movement of money that then gets reconciled in the books. And so removing friction is absolutely paramount. And in fact, you know, we've seen metrics in our business for as long as we out where we've you know, decreased the time to manage receivables to about 50 plus percent. We've seen a 30% decline in past due invoices and customers are getting paid 25 plus percent faster. And so a beautiful experience and one that requires very little heavy lifting or comprehension is going to help improve those numbers. And, you know, Greg, I, I've, I've got two boys of my own in that generation. And I like to say that I'm the transitional generation where I grew up not being digitally native, but I quickly became a digitally native in my career. And I will say that, you know, leaders such as you and myself and others on your podcast You've got to find ways to move faster. You've got to find ways in order to create operational efficiencies. You've got to find ways to stay up with the market and compete. And, and particularly with the last you know, 18 months with you know, artificial intelligence and large language models and open AI that I'm sure every podcast can't exist without mention of that. Right. If you're going to survive, like you have to move faster. So yes, there's an expectation of why is it so easy for me to move money with Venmo in my personal life, but I can't move money in my business life as easy, but also with, you know, those of us who live in this demographic that know the importance that technology plays in creating a more efficient company. And and frankly, I think a more healthy economy. I mean, I have a a 19 year old daughter. She's in in college and she grew up obviously, you know, as a digital native. And I, you know, if she's doing anything on her phone, which that's where they do everything, and there's any friction or she can't figure it out, she'll go find another way to do it that's easy and she won't put up with that. And, you know, she's a future leader that's going to to be that way. So I, I totally, I totally get that. One last thing on the trends, and you've mentioned several times AI, kind of where do you guys stand? Are you currently, obviously, I'm sure you're using it in your business, but do you see like from a broader payments perspective, all I hear is, hey, you know, AI and fraud, AI and marketing, <laughs> you know, w- what are you hearing about AI and how are you guys leveraging that? Yeah, it's, look, I've, having worked at PayPal for 13 years and then it's City, and then my last role being CEO of an identity verification system that was servicing some of the biggest companies out there and doing it all automatically with large language models and AI and ML. 
I just share all that because I, we've been using it as a society. It's been front and center. We use it every day. I think just now has it become accessible and open to people to explore and to understand it. And so our philosophy on this is we have been using it in order to automate existing processes for a number of years. The bigger question for me ends up being, right, how ready are our customers to embrace even more of it? And how do we become intentional and purposeful of when we introduce the technologies? And, and I share that with you because there's a lot around back office automation and customer support workflows that we can easily put into place, in which we are in order to become efficient and more intelligent. But what I have found in this space, particularly around accounts receivable and some experiments we've run and with our customer base is going back to our earlier discussion, you know, a number of these customers that we serve aren't as digitally savvy as, let's say, the e-commerce players out there and some of the tech players out there. And in doing that, they have a problem that needs to be solved. Right now, they just want to solve the problem, <laughs> whether it's using AI or not. Like there's, we're talking about a market that has 70% of it that is not been served, like that are doing things with Excel spreadsheets and manual efforts. If we don't even compete against our competitors, there's a huge, you know, sector of people that need a solution like this. And so I share that because it's important for us to be thoughtful about when is the right moment and how. I'll bring also forward that, and this is not just a trend. I mean, I've lived in it my day to day. So have you with being in payments, but there's a lot to be understood and to be had around data security, privacy, and regulatory compliance. And some of these companies, manufacturing, distribution, construction, that hasn't been front and center for them. And as you start to look at this growing prevalence of embedded financial services and customization, there's a lot that needs to happen around transparency and education around how data is used and privacy policies. It just becomes absolutely imperative. And there's a lot of work to be done there. Not saying that one client is savvier than the next, but you know, in the B2B space, the way in which you use AI, as you know, is consuming and ingesting a lot of pieces of information that makes the models more intelligent. Well, to do that, you have to make sure you have the right protectionistic measures and policies in place so that you're not only protecting your own business, but you're protecting your customers' businesses. Yeah, yeah, good point. Definitely, definitely. So let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about you. So tell us about your journey to your role there as the CEO. A little bit about me. So I have really been fascinated with technology and the interplay with solving business problems for my entire career. feel very fortunate that in addition to sales, early on in my career, I fell into technology consulting. Uh, even before Arthur Anderson, that you may remember, was really big in that space. And so what you know we call product management now, I was doing that. And you know, the early 2000s. So they really found this love for understanding problem spaces and what the needs are and how do you use applied technology to service that, but also doing it in a way that bring people along. And so, you know, for almost 30 years, about 90% of it's been in payments. As I mentioned earlier, I, I was at PayPal right after eBay purchased them. So PayPal was about a thousand people. I left 13 years later when it was around 36,000 and went public. And Amazing journey there. I mean, I cannot speak enough about the people I've met and the opportunity to change the future of finance. 
but got to a point where I wanted to try something different and felt like I had a lot more to learn. And so joined Citibank and Citibank had started this group under the CEO at the time, Stephen Bird. It was called City Fintech. And the whole intention was how do we combine existing personnel that no change needs to occur with external experts from tech savvy companies together to change the way they work, put new product and market at accelerated pace and discover new vectors of growth. And it was a great journey. And we did a tremendous amount. The city, Citibank app looks very different from when we first started. And I loved it. But I also knew that you know my heart and soul wasn't in being an executive at a global bank. And so my fascination with identity and risk and this whole thinking like payments has always been something I was passionate about, but what's more core to a payment is who or what somebody is on all sides of that transaction. So I ended up joining a global identity company based out of Israel and had a great run there as well through the growth stages. And when crypto was on the rise and we had to be up, you know, 99.999% of the time. And then, you know, made a decision that going back to payments and understanding what I had learned in you know City and in Authentics was critical. And when the VersaPay opportunity got presented to me, I was really looking for three things, Greg. Like one was, is this a real problem? You know, far too often there's technologies in search of a problem. And is there a real pain point here that we could solve? And is it meaningful? And the second thing was really the caliber of the capital partners. Um, having been around a while, you know that the people who are backing you and the investors make or break what the future trajectory can become and what your ambition is. And then the third was really the, the TAM. Like, how much of this market is addressable and unaddressable? And you know, do we see a space to play? And I just I found that all in VersaPay. And in addition to the, the business dimensions... I also became fascinated with the company is a distributed workforce. We're remote first. We had a number of real estate properties, probably like all other companies when we were first brought together and had made a decision to close many of them down and had made a decision now to close all of them down. And I have worked remote for 16 years since my days at PayPal before we even had an office on the East Coast. And really felt that if you could do it and do it well, there was something pretty magical that you could create. And so the fact that my board was supportive of that, it was a challenge that I was willing to take on. So there's a little bit of fun splashed in there as well. Yeah, and I think I know the answer to this next question, at least on the <laughs> professional side, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So so what are some things you're passionate about? So maybe one business-related passion and one personal passion. Yeah, I mean, I, you probably know through the discussion, but look, I'm, I believe that there is a world on the business side where the most important financial decisions won't be decisions at all. That, and this is where kind of AI and the server running the world plays a role where preferences and behaviors and intelligent routing of money can be moved across trusted networks and can be done automatically. And that is something I'm really passionate about. And as part of being passionate about that, it's making sure that you're fighting against the bad actors and that people who have worked hard for the money that they deserve, they get access to that. And so, which leads me really to, I'll say my 
my personal passion, but I think it is very much interwoven into my professional one, which is, you know, I, I do believe there could be a world that technology enables us to live more safely, more securely, and with more access. And there's a lot in society that has been done in order to change the landscape of our capital sector, but there's not as much as that's been done to change the landscape of our social sector. And I think COVID has, was a pinnacle moment in that where you had billions of dollars in relief being issued from governments and corporations and individuals in order to help people whether it was dollars, whether it was goods and services. And at the same time, that problem is people living under not just what we call minimum wage, but it's become worse, Greg, like it's become worse. And so how might we use technology to make sure that the right people receive the right goods and services at the right time so that we can all live a sustainable existence? I think it's really, really important. And it's, it's incumbent upon all of us to solve that. And so those, those are the two things. And I, and I am, I am passionate about how do you enable a distributed workforce to perform exceptionally well and be high performing. And I know a lot of companies are trying to go back and I value the in time, in person work that needs to get done and the creativity that is, I guess it is created when you have people together but I also believe we're not going back to the ways of the past. I mean, technology is very different. How people can act are very different. So we have to find a way forward in creating spaces and places where individuals in your workforce can be their best. And it's not the same for everybody. And so figuring out that right equation is something I'm, I'm pretty fascinated with because I don't I don't think anybody's really solved it yet. I mean, there's a couple of companies out there in the tech space that have done a good job, but you know, it's something we have to find a path forward. Yeah, totally agree with you there. And I've I've heard arguments on both sides. So we'll be interesting to see where, where that heads in the next few years. So last question, being from payments, this is related. If someone came to you and they said, hey, Carrie, I'm interested in getting into the field of payments or fintech, and maybe even they want a job at your company. And they say, the question, what advice would you give them to be successful in this industry? Yeah. I mean, I actually love it when people outside of payments come into the space because I, they don't come with preconceived biases of how the networks work and how the processors work and the rules that are in place that, you, you know, some banks you have to wait 14 days when you just want to change your address on your bank account. Like that, that that's opinion and that is policy. It's not law. Right. And so, you know, being able to come into a space and untether yourself and ask the question of what would seem logical and reasonable in today's day and age of how this should work, I think sets that individual up who is interested in probably doing a lot more with a lot less information. So, you know, Yes, you have to understand the regulatory space. Yes, you have to understand how money moves. Yes, you have to understand the different players within the ecosystems. But no, you don't have to get anchored down by what it was versus what it could be. So, for, you know, for me, that's one. I think the second thing or the, the other thing I would say is, you know, looking at the end-to-end experience and really embracing embedded finance and 
every moment you have an interaction with someone, it could be a moment for a transaction. Now, not all of them. My kids come to hug me and that's an interaction. Although nine times out of 10, they're asking for money, which is a transaction. But I think it's so critical to look at the end-to-end experience, which means breaking down silos internally, which means thinking outside of the box externally, which means also what are the partners that could play in your overall vision and ambition? Because you know, I, I say this around payments. I also say it around identity. Like, There's no one winner. Like there are multiple winners for years to come. There may be fewer winners, but you know, partnerships are really, really critical in order for all of us to stay relevant and to move at the speed that our customers in the markets expect us to. And so embrace the partnerships, even if sometimes that you feel you're dancing on the edge of a competitor, because nine times out of 10, you'll have a better outcome. Good. I think that's great, great advice. So obviously we've covered a lot of ground about you and the and the company and, and the industry as a whole. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? Just thanks, Greg. Like I, I appreciate the time. I think the world is our oyster in B2B payments and the office of the CFO. Someone said to me once that you never expect to happen in one year, that will happen in 10 years, that you know the world's moving really fast. And I do believe in a world where we'll realize the promise of the network. I do believe in a world where every payment is digital. I do believe in a world where the server will run the business. And in, that's the world that we, we want to be part of, but doing it you know, in a trusted way where people can not just trust the people, but trust the systems as well. And trust at the end of the day is going to be core, I think, for all businesses and relationships moving forward. So um, appreciate the time and appreciate the questions and um, look forward to getting to know you better in the future. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I know your time is very valuable, so I really appreciate you being here. Much appreciated. And to all you listeners out there, I thank you for your time as well. And until the next story. Thank you for joining us this week on the Leaders in Payments podcast. Make sure you visit our website at leadersinpayments.com where you can subscribe to the show and where you'll find our show notes. If you enjoyed listening, please share on your social channels as well.